Olofinjana to Lawrence. Played through for Fuller. Fuller's beaten Larson here. And Ricardo Fuller has scored for Stoke. Ten minutes to go. And it could yet be a celebratory night in the Potteries. Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. It's finished. Sunderland 1, Stoke City 3 at the Stadium of Light. And to celebrate, I'm joined by Ben Cartwright. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you for having me on. And Chris Brown. Hello, Dave. Hello. It's so nice to be able to talk about a Stoke win. Uh, but before we get into the match, uh, here are some clips that your roving reporters, me and Chris, recorded at the Stadium of Light, where we witnessed arguably our best display this season. <laughs> Hello, it's David Cowlishaw here, and with Chris Brammer, we're in the concourse at the Stadium of Light. The team news is in, we're roughly 13 minutes away from kick-off. Chris Brammer, what are your thoughts ahead of this quite important game for Stoke, I think it's fair to say? Yeah, um, I think the team has kind of picked itself, we have no real choice of what team to play. Uh, give or take a few small changes. It's, and for some reason, Dave, I'm optimistic to high heaven I think we're going to do something today and you're getting annoyed at me because all I'm saying is we're going to win I, th- I don't know I, I don't know if that's just because we're here and I want to see a good game and I'm hoping but yeah why not I think it might just be the away day magic rubbing off on us uh, I, I'm always sort of uh, full of the joy of football when I go into a, away games and maybe that gives me unrealistic expectations as to what the result will be uh, yeah, like, like Chris said, uh, not too much Mark Hughes could do with the team. Uh, maybe we could have seen Afalai in the 10. Uh, don't know, but I don't think there's many huge murmurings of discontent with that 11 on the pitch. Uh, and there's uh, potential on the bench for maybe Ngoy to come on. Yeah, Sunderland aren't very good, but we, <laughs> but we haven't been either in recent games. So I'm hoping just for a, a, if we could get a win, it would be bloody amazing. If, if that has to be through a last-minute own goal from them, we'd absolutely take that. So, yeah, uh, just I'm, I'm, I'm not as uh, confident as Chris that will win, <laughs> but I, I've still got that glimmer of optimism before a game. As I said on the Into the Lights Under Them podcast, I'm optimistic and I don't know why. I hope the lads can uh, fuel optimism, not just for this game, but for further games. It's David Cowlishaw here with Chris Brammer. We're about the only ones in the Stadium of Light still sat in our seats. Everyone else is filing out. The Sunderland fans had filed out a long time ago. Uh, we sit here after Stoke have seen out a second half uh, fairly comfortably. It's finished Sunderland 1, Stoke City 3. Chris, your thoughts? Um, I, I think, well, as we said at half-time, I feared almost what was going to happen in the second half. If Sunderland came out with a bit of fight... We would have to weather it quite well. Um, I think we did that. Sunderland came out fighting, um, and we we defended well. Uh, let off on a few occasions, but I suppose that is football. But especially the last 10-15 minutes completely took the uh, sting out of their tails. Kept the ball, recycled it well, and I think the empty stadium alike was proof to that. The, uh, the fans here at Sunderland had completely lost all hope, and uh, that was a professional job by us. Can I just say, though, in go 
Goy deployed again, and now he's got his own chat. I felt a sort of lump in my throat when a chat from Goy went up. It's, it's been uh, it's been a brilliant journey, and. Uh, full credit to Stoke it was a pretty boring second half but I, I said I said at half time I wanted a boring second half we needed to close out that game and to be fair we were okay there was Sunderland a couple of chances we had a couple of chances as well Arnie may have had a chance for a hat-trick there but you know them's the breaks and I think after the Wolves debacle we just needed this and uh, shout out to Joe Allen who was <laughs> wonderful again just absolutely everywhere in the middle of the park I, I think as well you've just got to say uh, I think Mark Hughes got it spot on today yeah. that his substitutes worked we had, Charlie Adam had to come off at that point he was definitely tiring and it's nice that Julian and Guy gets uh, some more minutes on the pitch so yeah a good yeah. performance yeah. Today. Uh, this is the Wizards of Drivel at the stadium of like you know what we should go to more games together because uh, <laughs> this was alright cheers that was a fun day, wasn't it, Chris? I, I've, I've just got my voice back now, I think. It was incredible. Um, what I love about football is just the the random hugs that happen after goals with strangers in the crowd. It's absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it was an absolutely great day out. Great day. Yeah. Um, you were very optimistic going into the game. I, I was... Hope, hopeful we could do something but you were so certain we'd win which was quite mm. impressive I, I don't think you'd ever dream that we'd be 3-0 up inside 35 minutes though then it was it a case of us just pulling our finger out a bit after Wolves or was it the fact Sunderland were terrible or as Hughes made a tactical change that has allowed us to get all three points well obviously I, th- I think it's an amalgamation of, of all of those things probably I mean the point that I've brought up in my notes here is that we've, we've been playing a striker um, for a number of weeks now and he's actually been able to get a run of games and get some consistency up and he's scoring goals. Who would have thought it? Playing a, a, a semi-consistent... Certainly not you, ben. Certainly not me, um, which keen listeners <laughs> of the pod would very much already know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sunderland were just awful uh, and we looked extremely good. It was, it was back to the good old days at times. That second goal will will live in the memory more than a lot of moments this season, I think. I think it's up there with the moments of the season, I'd say. Just for, just, just that everyone was working together at the moment. And I just love football when things like happen like that happen um, for anyone. And then it happens for Stoke. It's obviously even better. So, yeah, very happy with the performance. I think, well, the last time Arnie scored a goal was that goal against, or in the league at least, was against Palace when it was sort of in anger and he just sort of put it into the net because no one else was doing anything. So... It was nice to see him getting back on the score sheet and, and obviously was just a sensational performance. And Mark Hughes came out afterwards, obviously, in his post-match um, comments and, and his line was he was satisfied. So I'll go along with Mark this time. <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, obviously, we had the fun of uh, an away day and being the first uh, Stoke victory at the Stadium of Light since 1994, if I've uh, read that correctly. Um would you go along and say that's our best display this season? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know whether that is an inclination of how poor the rest of the season's been. Certainly, the first 35 minutes were some of the best football we've we've played. Um, I know that after, 
in the build up to the first goal, you and I were saying, Dave, that it was just absolutely magic and it was almost it's it's a matter of time before we before we score. There was a few minutes afterwards where after the first goal where we were a bit like we needed to get our shape back again, but I, I think the first half we were absolutely stunning. Uh, the second half, I, we we didn't do as much. I think the midfield tired quite a bit, and we definitely put in a more defensive performance in the second half. Uh, but as I we said yesterday, um, I think that we did a professional job of t- taking the sting out of Sunderland and any momentum they had going forward. We rode the the, the wave of their advance and we put a stop to it and especially the last 15 minutes when the stadium of light emptied um we held on to the ball really really well probably one of the performances of the season certainly um we <laughs> despite my optimism yesterday um i i don't know it wasn't expected that we'd get a result there and you could easily have seen stoke turning up and giving another charitable three points to a much needed Sunderland side but we didn't and thank goodness for that because now suddenly we are in the top half of the table again and things are looking up I suppose this performance or this win against Sunderland away is probably the most along with maybe the Man United draw is the most unexpected result of the season so far like I didn't really go into this game look at or thinking that we were going to win to be honest which probably says a lot but Having a look at all of the results this season, I'd say a lot of them, we kind of went into those games thinking we are going to win, where yesterday I think there was a bit more maybe negativity or maybe just apprehension because we haven't beaten Sunderland in the league for such a long time oh, at their place. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Chris just touched on there something I wanted to talk about, which was I think this was a really big result for us. Um, and of course you can say Sunderland are a really poor side who had injury problems and players away at the African Cup of Nations. So they're a poor side who had been weakened. But I think this result's quite important because it means our outlook is looking up instead of down. Uh, I think I believe we've gone up to ninth. And we, we, where we were at the start of the day was kind of six points away from seventh and six points away from the relegation zone. So this result kind of... Uh, assures our place away from the struggling relegation sides. Uh, Chris, which players kind of stood out for you as mm. being crucial to our win? Well, you've got to say um, Arnie was by far... He, he, he was up for it yesterday. Uh, and I think that him and Shakiri were really... <laughs> They they were they were out there to impress yesterday. Um, there was the moment where Shakiri did a little back heel pass that you were like melting in, st- stood up in the stands, Dave. You were like, "Oh my god, did you just see that?" Um, I think I think for me as well, I I do think that um, I think Bruno impressed. He was the one who I came away from yesterday thinking, "Bloody hell, he he really retained the ball really well. There were a lot of moments where, under pressure, he managed to wrong-foot a defender and play the ball simply. He didn't um, panic in possession. He passed uh, very, very well, especially if you compare it to to Ryan Shawcross, who, on a few occasions yesterday, it was notable that when he was put under pressure, he resorted to booting it up the pitch and it wouldn't often 
come off for us. So, yeah, I think the the two wingers were absolutely fantastic. I think uh, Bruno was great. And, and Joe Allen as well, because Joe Allen was so industrious. He just bloody... He was everywhere. He, um, he <laughs> yeah, he was putting Sunderland under some serious pressure in that first half an hour especially. So, so I think them them four... Them four. I would also I would also bring up Crouch actually. I know that I've I've sort of I've been giving him a lot of stick in on this podcast and got a bit of pie on my face, but at least it's tasty pie because we're winning. Um God, get that line in there. Um <laughs> But yeah, I thought he, that was his yeah, his best performance of the season. Maybe for a couple of seasons now. I thought he he did exactly what you expect from a from a striker that's well, a tall striker who's meant to be holding up play. He was always he always looked like he was the option whenever Stoke were breaking out of defence. And yeah, I just thought he, he won the ball a lot. And, mm. and and the goal he scored as well. I mean, again, another player that's got a lot of stick was, was uh, potentially Adam. But I thought the cross was perfect. For Monone, who was playing so awfully yesterday, that looping cross, he really doesn't <laughs> want... At that point in this game, he does not want to deal with a cross like that. And, and Crouch put it away. So yeah, I, I, well, yeah, Crouch was fantastic. I, I almost feel like... I, I think we, just, we played to Crouch's strengths yesterday. And um, whereas in the past playing up to him has slowed the play down we had Arnie and Shakiri and Joe Allen in and around who were providing like trickery and pace and confusing the Sunderland defence and like you say I think Crouch's movement actually was very very good yesterday he he was he, again he was everywhere he wasn't just leading the line he was coming a bit deeper and playing passes to, to other players it, it worked it worked yesterday and um, yeah I agree Couldn't can't really fault Crouch too much yeah, I, I'd echo uh, your thoughts on Crouch as well. I thought he probably had his best game of the season for us in terms of worrying a a really poor centre-half pairing of O'Shea and Gillibodji who just didn't look like footballers at times. The The way we were making them look was uh, quite embarrassing from a Sunderland point of view, really. Uh, also, echo your thoughts about Joe Allen. I think... Uh, he, he played really well first off. He, he was uh, linking, uh, got some decent possession play going. We were doing some good stuff on the ball. And also in the second half, uh, where particularly when he moved uh, out of the number 10 position further back when he brought Affleck and I thought Joe Allen was superb as well, just kept the pressure up on them and they couldn't really do anything. Um, talk about some maybe negatives from this game. Obviously, uh, Jermaine Defoe's goal was a bit of a... A poor one to concede, especially given the time of the game as well. Because uh, at half time, I think we said we were, we were worried that maybe are we going to see another Leicester where we can't hold on to two goals at half time? I think I even tweeted that we needed a fourth, which was <laughs> which sounds silly in sounds silly in hindsight, but uh, it certainly felt like that at the time. That are we going to be able to see this game out? And Sunderland did have a couple of chances that Rodwell miss in particular was uh, really poor. Um, but yeah, overall there aren't too many negatives. It, it, there was this, it was a standard uh, kind of dull second half once we got a lead. But I think we were more than happy with that. Uh, yeah, like you said, Chris, Shawcross a bit, bit of a worry at times. Uh he, he he did seem to panic a bit. He not not his best game in terms of distribution, but yeah, that that's a mild criticism. I don't think he was awful at all. Um, ben, 
lot of rotation in Mark Hughes' teams throughout the whole season, really. But uh, would you want to see this team for the next few games? I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind this team. I think we've got some tough fixtures coming up. Obviously, United at home and Everton at home. I think Everton have just gone 3-0 up against City a couple of minutes ago as we're recording. So Everton are looking a bit better. I think there's... And then West Brom away after that, maybe. So we're coming up against teams that, that are decent um, and, in Man United's case, very confident. So we need to be playing maybe a team with a bit more security and maybe Whelan and Adam at Holland midfield um, makes, well, makes it a bit more secure. And with Crouch up top playing as he did today, then, I mean, fantastic man leading the line. So, yeah, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't mind seeing this eleven again, which says about all you need to know about how much I don't know um, because if I was <laughs> if I was in charge then we would have played Bojan yesterday but um, no I, th- I, th- I think you've got a yeah fair play to the team they played well yesterday really well and I, w- I think it would be unfair on, on them guys if, if anyone was to be dropped after that to be honest I think the only change I would yeah. consider maybe is as you mentioned I thought Alan was, was a bit better when he was holding um, alongside Whelan and Affelai in the number 10 role. That's the only change that I might think about. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, definitely one to consider. Um, I think Shakiri deserves a lot of praise because, as, as we mentioned, he has come for, in for a lot of criticism. Uh, against these kind of poor sides, I think you only need kind of 20 minutes, 30 minutes from him on Anatovic and then we can win the game because you're not going to be on the front foot all the time. So your hope is when you are on the front foot then that Shakiri and Anarvich can produce something. And my word, did they produce something. <laughs> uh, first goal is a lovely ball and a lovely touch. It's just uh, it's just absolutely brilliant to watch. It's, as did say on the Into the Light Sunderland podcast uh, previewing this game, is I just wanted um, Shakiri and Anarvich to turn up at some point in this game uh, because that, I thought that was our best possible uh, source of a result. And yeah, beautiful uh, ball uh, and a great finish for the first. Second goal, as we've mentioned, I think maybe our goal of the season. <laughs> I think I think it's in close contention with uh, Munier's goal against Burnley. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say so. I think, I mean, I know a lot of people have said the same thing and, and I was on TalkSport after the game yesterday and I said it as well that um, if Arsenal had scored that goal, boy, match of the day would have been having a 10-minute special and obviously we don't care about what match of the day say. I, I, another thing I, I've been thinking about match of the day is that I, I would love to see sort of the breakdown of fans in their producing team, their producers, who they support, because there's obviously not a Stoke fan in there. So maybe the aim of the podcast mm. is to get to get one of us guys as a producer of match of the day so people actually <laughs> care about Stoke. Um, yeah, I've, I've just got back from the North East like two hours ago and... I've I've watched the match of the day highlights back, and like I'm just thinking, there's loads of Stoke chances yeah. are missed out. Yep. There was a chance for Anatovic to get his hat trick. There was a moment where Shakiri kind of got the ball on the uh, touchline and almost manoeuvred his way into scoring. I, I, I know we were sort of quite near the end of the program, so they maybe had to trim it down a bit. But I thought, oh, it's not totally fair reflection <laughs> on the amount of chances yeah. we had. I think it, that's I why no one has uh, a clue about how Stoke play or like what they do because whenever I speak to people they just think oh Hughes is doing a a good job isn't he that's all they've got about Stoke so Mm -hmm. the fact that match today 
is all a lot of people how they take football in. So no one will ever know Stoke other than what's a match today, and we never seem to get a fair representation. But I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, last uh, uh, big source of a positive for for me was I think Mark Hughes got it spot on. Uh, he's certainly come in for a lot of criticism on this podcast, but I think uh, the lineup all performed for him. Uh, Never in any real doubt. Yes, I know Sunderland are a poor side and this statistic about we only beat the lower down the table sides keeps cropping up again. But at the end of the day, we've still got to beat them and it's a ground where we usually do nothing. Uh, Team all performed. We uh, came flying out the blocks, which I think is a testament to his sort of getting the team motivated again after the Wolves uh, horror show. And I think his subs were good as well. He only only made two. Mm. Uh, bringing Affle on for Adam, he thought I thought he brought Adam off at the right stage in the game because he just committed a yellow card and was uh, flagging a bit <laughs> and uh, deployed and Goy again Wee. and uh, we <laughs> and uh, uh, full full marks to the Stoke fans who travelled. We we had a, a great day just in terms of uh, being in being in the Stoke and uh, first of all, a uh, big shout out to uh, the bloke who recognised my voice at Newcastle Metro. And uh, proceeded to have a chat with us on the Metro down. And uh, we had a few beers with him outside the ground, which is very nice. Uh, shout out to Stanley, he, he, his son. Um, he made he wanted to make sure I gave him a shout out. And also the uh, Stoke following were, as you can expect, uh, given the first half, were all in good voice. And there was a chant for Julian and Goy, which is just, just like so bizarre to think when we first like mentioned deploying Goy that... That it's uh, come come this quickly, really. Yeah. And there's quite a few deploying guy stickers now in the away end at the stadium alight. <laughs> I think that moment it was brought up on Twitter when that moment he cut in onto his left foot, and there was there was a, like a split second. It looked like he was about to fire it into oh. the top corner. I was just like, oh! I, I, I was, there was, quite, I was I, yeah. Oh. There was a. I think my head would have literally exploded <laughs> had that happened. So. There was a bit as well where he was like cloning, closing down Manone, and it was like, "Oh my god, he's going to get the ball off him!" And then he didn't, <laughs> and we were all like, "Oh no, Julian, come on!" <laughs> yeah. Um, and, sh- and shout out to the person who tweeted us saying, "With him being uh, deployed a couple of times now, the hashtag should now be enjoying Goy." <laughs> I'm enjoying Ingoy, so it's relevant. Yeah. Yeah, as I mentioned there, Mark Hughes, I think, made good changes. David Moyes didn't make any changes at all. And I was wondering why this was, considering, you know, Barini... Uh, I think I only realised Barini played when I spoke to you after the game. <laughs> yeah. because, because that, he, was, he was that kind of useless. Larson and Denier, basically the whole midfield was pretty poor, I thought. Um, it, it's a bit of a cliche about Sunderland, but without Defoe... You know, I think they could be down already. Um, But yeah, I was just looking at Sunderland's bench yesterday. I think I've heard of one, maybe two of these players. Their their bench was Jones, Mika, Manquilo, Asoro, Madger, Honeyman and Embleton. Uh, That sounds like a pro-evolution soccer bench. They feel like... Their names for other players. (laughs) 
Oh Having said that, I I do think that Denier might be the greatest name for a defensive midfielder that will that will ever be. But, <laughs> was, yeah, so yeah, fair yeah. play to Denier for that. But yeah. a shame he can't play the game. But he's got a great name, so that's all that matters. Okay, right. Um, let's go to our most controversial segment of the show. Uh, after this, we'll be talking about Man United and the Bojan situation. But first off, we've got Hughes Knight. Where, in a slight change of tack, uh, we threw this open to our listeners to send us audio clips on how they see Mark Hughes and whether they want him in or out. A couple of things I think it's important to stress before we play these clips. One, these are all the clips we were sent. We've, we've not picked and chose these. These are just uh, all five of the ones we were sent, so don't... Accusers of agendas. And the second thing to mention is these were recorded all before the Sunderland game. I'm Jack Collingsworth and this is why I am Hughes out. I think for about a year now since we got rid of the false nine, I think we've been tactically poor in games. I felt we went through a very bad run towards the end of last year. We started out even worse. Uh, We had a bit of a good together when Jeff Cameron came back into the team in midfield and Alan was pushed up but overall it's been a very bad 2016 and when we're at the top end of the table um, we're in the top league you know it's really disappointing to to not be pushing on and getting more from the team we have because on paper we have probably one of the better mid-table sides so I think we're strongly underachieving, and that is why I'm Hughes out. Hughesy. Hughesy, Hughesy. Well, the problem is I see if we get rid of him, I think we'll probably be going down a rabbit hole of getting two or three managers from across Europe, and I just think, I don't know, I just feel we're in such a rough patch, we almost need to dig ourselves out a little bit before we move on. So, you know, I'd settle for... A mediocre position and then keep him till the end of the season. I mean, unless we're, you know, relegation threatened and probably replace him then and have a long time so we can have a long time to look for a suitable replacement. Plus, then I think more managers will be available. So, yeah, I'd stick with him till, till the end of the season unless he makes a remarkable turnaround or we're relegation threatened. Hi, this is Frosty, and I am in the Hughes Out camp. I've long stood up for Hughes. Um, I was convinced he was going to turn things around, uh, but this past 12, 13 months has been nothing short of dreadful. He's shown time and time again that he doesn't know his best team, uh, where to play players, or what tactics to deploy. Having three at the back and trying to play players that are clearly not wing-backs reeks of tactical ineptitude as far as I'm concerned. It's become painful to watch. I'm sure some listeners will be coming out with the good job you weren't watching us in the third tier rhetoric. And believe me, I certainly was, and I remember it well. But I also remember not having £30 million worth of players sat on the bench while we watched someone take a dozen pot shots from 40 yards out every game. Shameless plug time. Um, I'm running... A number of races this year, including the London Marathon for the Donna Louise Children's Hospice. So if you'd like to head over to Run Frosty, so that's Run Frosty on Twitter, and check out my pinned tweet for more information and for sponsorship details. 
Cheers, chaps. Bye. Hi, I'm Hughes out simply as I've lost confidence in the manager, have no faith in his ability to change games if the game's not going our way. Therefore, I don't think much of Hughes' tactical mouse, basically. He clearly doesn't really have a clue what his best team is at the moment, and I don't think the players are motivated to play for him anymore as they once were, maybe like a year, even like just over a year ago, with that wonderful December we had. With Taiwan's at our disposal, I believe Hughes should be getting an awful lot more out of them than is on show. I think he's done as much as he can for us, to be fair, um, and he's done well. But it's time for someone else to have the squad and see what they can do with it, I think. Hi guys, you've uh, proposed a question. Are you Hughes in or are you Hughes out? And I am sad to say that um, I am now very much wavering towards the Hughes outcome. This isn't just because we've been losing games, I've been used, used to losing games for years, uh, and it's not just because we're on the verge of selling some of our best players in Bojan and Uniesa. This is to do with how we play. I don't believe Hughes has any confidence um, as a manager anymore with us. I, I don't think he knows how to get the best of the players he's bought or the players he's been left with. He doesn't know what formation suits us best. He doesn't know what tactics suit us best. He doesn't know what lineup suits us best and one of the worst things for me and i know it sounds pedantic but it's such a huge part of the game is substitutions and this came to a head in leicester for me um when we were winning two nil at half time and then we just completely capitulated leicester make the right substitutions we don't we make them late we make the wrong substitutions and and, and we dropped two points um we almost could have you know dropped all the points i think i think we could have lost that game so i, I do believe that Maybe we give him a bit more time, but I think he's possibly taken as, as far as he can, unfortunately. So that's a pretty strong uh, Hughes-out section. Yeah, I think the nicest one was Lucian saying maybe get rid at the end of the season. So I'd, I'd, I wonder if yesterday's result has changed anything, if at all. <laughs> I, think, I think for me, my doubts about his management are still the same, but he's got an opportunity now to... Uh, maybe prove himself again. We're a, we, yeah, we're at a fantastic sort of base point now. We're in ninth place. Great, like a decent points position at the moment. So now if we can push on, get some results against the teams that this season we haven't been able to beat, the teams above us, and, and, and really have some memorable games and some good attacking football like we played yesterday, then fair play. If you can do that for the rest of the season, then I think a lot of people would change their minds. But at the moment, especially with the FA Cup still fresh in the memory. I think that's why a lot of people are, are maybe still leaning towards a Hughes out mindset. Speaking of a mindset, Chris, do you have some polls of the week? For I, I have some polls of the week. Yes. So again, like last week, I decided to ask four questions. Some very, very similar to last week. Now what you're saying about a change in mentality over since the Sunderland game I think this proved it because I asked people. Well, firstly, I asked, "Do we think that yesterday's lineup is our best eleven?" Of which an overwhelming majority of sixty-two percent said no, which is interesting because I don't know what our best eleven is. But then, I, I, I suppose, in sort of literal terms, our best eleven would include a fit Jack Butland. Oh yes, so, I suppose. Uh, that that's a kind of. Uh, pernickety point I suppose yeah. but um, it, we were saying before the game Chris I, I don't know what our best no. 11 is <laughs> so 
I, I, don't, I don't think I'd be in a position to answer that question either way. Neither does you, so there we go. Way. There we go. Way. Well, I then, I then ask people, are you currently Hughes out or Hughes in? And this week, unlike last week, Hughes in has got a rousing 60%. So wow. it's a, a massive turnaround from last week. Uh, then I've also asked, do you think Stoke are in a relegation battle? Of which 94% say no. So the doom the doom has gone. But the, the one question, and this is the exact same question that I asked last week, on Mark Hughes, do you want to A, keep him for next season, leave, let him leave at the end of the season, or have him leave now. Now, if you remember last week, leave now had a huge, huge thing, as did leaving the summer. There wasn't as many people wanting to keep him. This week, 48% want to keep him, whilst 45 want him to leave at the end of the season. So what it is showing, though, is that it's <laughs> that one win can destroy all that anger that people felt and wanting him to leave the club straight away. And people are at least willing to give him a chance to the end of the season. Um I think actually what it proves is that football fans are fickle and will will we'll vote on Instagram. I know, I know. But it, it's it's interesting. I think that, again, it, I think everyone wants Mark Hughes to succeed. I don't think anyone wants to see him fail. We would all love him to do a really, really good job and Stoke have an absolutely amazing second half of the season. I don't think anyone is out there wanting him to crash and burn right now yeah it is quite remarkable that poll the uh keep him next season as you say was 48 percent uh this week and last week it was 24 (laughs) percent and that's from like pretty close the same it was roughly the same number of votes as well so it's yeah it's it is fickle really on the face of it but um yeah but there is still a a size of a sizable portion I think for some that result won't change much given the kind of level of the opposition and uh, the fact it it is one win but like the club pointed out uh, today it is uh, kept up our 100% league record in 2017 so uh, you know there's that I wonder how um, I wonder how fickle Coates is in his head. He's like, oh, one week, oh, Hughes out, oh god, Hughes isn't doing good enough. Then next, he's like, yes, we want him at Sunderland. He's staying forever. <laughs> I wonder if he's replied to our poll. <laughs> uh, that'll be interesting to uh, get the data on that. Um, and speaking of Hughes, sorry, folks, we're we're not going to budge from this topic. Uh, another brand new Hughes-related feature, which is a pun on a BBC show. It's have I got Hughes for you? <laughs> and what we did was we contacted fans of Hughes's former clubs, uh, uh, specifically Fulham, Blackburn Rovers and QPR. Now, what follows is a kind of summation from fans of those clubs over uh, what what they thought of him in charge of their clubs, his strengths and weaknesses, Um you might be able to tell that one fan really doesn't like Mark Hughes. See if you can guess which one. But you've got to thank Sammy James from the Fulhamish podcast, uh, Dirk Copeland from Rover Seas, the Blackburn podcast, QPR fanzine Loft for Words. Hi guys, Sammy here. I'm a Fulham fan. 
giving you my thoughts on Mark Hughes and his time at Fulham. It was a mixed one, really, Mark Hughes at Fulham. He took over after Roy Hodgson. We just got to the European final. Very heady days for the club. Whatever he achieved, he was in a bit of a difficult position because he could never emulate the success of what Roy Hodgson did that season. We beat the likes of Juventus and Wolfsburg and Roma. I think he was always in a difficult situation after that. His first six months really were a disaster. The only thing that went well is that he signed Moussa Dembele the first, who's now obviously with Tottenham. Uh, We were in the relegation zone on Boxing Day. Uh, And then everything changed on one game. It was actually a game at the Britannia against Stoke. We'd never even got a point there, I believe, by the time we went up there. And I think everyone said that if Mark Hughes lost that game, he was going to lose his job. Unbelievably, Fulham won uh, by two goals to nil. Chris Baird scored a couple of absolute screamers in the first 10 minutes. And everything changed after that. The next six months... We played some blinding football and I think we finished as high as 8th or ninth. We really were scintillating for that six months. And then at the end of the season, Mark Hughes left uh, saying that Fulham lacked ambition and everyone just thought it was actually a ploy from Mark Hughes to try and get the Chelsea and Aston Villa jobs and that the ambition thing was just an excuse. But it turns out really in the end, I think he saw the writing on the wall for Fulham. Um, and obviously only a couple of years later Fulham did go down and one of the big reasons was the fact that Mohamed Al-Fayed didn't want to put any more money into the club and we, uh, we had chronic underinvestment really but I think that kind of shows Mark Hughes's character he jumped from the sinking ship and I've always thought Mark Hughes as someone that would always do that he'd be the first out of the building in a fire and he wouldn't be helping anyone else always kind of looking out for himself in my opinion but apart from that I think he's a good manager. His character never really suited Fulham. But I think most Fulham fans wish him fairly well uh, and look back with fondness at those good six months uh, when he was in charge. Mark Hughes is probably the best manager Blackburn have had outside Kenny Dagleish for the past 20 years. Um, Great tactfully. uh, Great nose for a bargain as well. Picked up uh, some of our, probably our greater players that we've had in the past 20 years. um, Brian Nelson, uh, Chris Samba, David Bentley, Rocco Santa Cruz, all these guys all picked up for pretty, well, considering now, nowadays prices, uh, dirt cheap. Um, and he guided us to uh, European football. So he's, uh, he's very underrated. And, um, you know, he obviously didn't work out for him at Manchester City. But um, I would I'd love to have him back in our beat, uh, considering the mess we're in right now. Well, it's fair to say that Mark Hughes won't be getting many Christmas cards with a Shepherd's Bush postmark after his uh, spell in charge of Queen's Park Rangers. I think to say, uh, the first thing to say at the start, the, the fairest thing to say, is that our chairman, Tony Fernandez, uh, has to shoulder most of the blame for what's happened to our club. Um, he bought it uh, as a vanity exercise, a marketing uh, vehicle for AirAsia and the Tune Group. That's that's basically what our club has existed for for the last five years. It was he that wanted the big name signings, the Jisung Parks and people like that. Jisung Park was a was a, a prime example of someone who could no longer play football but worked very well in the Asian market. Uh, so ended up at QPR. So. Although Mark Hughes' spell in charge and Harry Redknapp after him uh, were ruinously expensive for our club, literally ruinous, the the QPR you see before you in the bottom half of the championship now uh, struggling to get costs under control and trying to make itself sustainable again, uh, you know, this is a process that will take years and years and it's all to get over that 
horrible sort of two or three years when we had Hughes and Redknapp in charge. It will take many years uh, from now to get there. Fernandez has to shoulder most of the blame for that, but but Hughes certainly not blameless. I mean, the way he got the job in the first place was pretty lamentable. We had been promoted from the championship under Neil Warnock, who was a, a hero around uh, Loftus Road. It was our first spell in the Premier League for 15 years. Uh, we started the Premier League season reasonably well under Warnock. Uh, we beat Chelsea at home. We won three of our first six away games, uh, including one at Stoke, which I, I thought I'd drop that in there. Um, so, uh, and Warnock wanted to strengthen uh, the squad in January by bringing in Alex from Chelsea uh, to play in the middle of the defence. The problem with that was that Alex's agent was Keir Jurabkin, uh, who is also sort of Mark Hughes's best bum chum, and he got in Fernandez's ear during those negotiations and said that he should consider replacing Warnock with Hughes, which uh, he duly did. Um, what followed was uh, one of the most ridiculous sort of episodes in, in modern English football, really, where you... You had players like Brazilian World Cup winner Julio Cesar, you know, turning up at, at QPR. I mean, that that signing in particular, coming just a fortnight after we'd signed Robert Green from West Ham on £50,000 a week, we then signed another goalkeeper on £120,000 a week. You know, it was that sort of thing that that really uh, really marked the Hughes era out. You know, big name after big name. Jose Basingua, who just won the Champions League with Chelsea, turned up on sixty thousand pounds a week. You know, all of these big names coming through the door, and at the same time, the spine of the team, the spine of the Warnock team, people like Sean Derry, Clint Hill, Jamie Mackey, all immediately sidelined as sort of not good enough and not big enough names for the new QPR. Um, it was an absolute disaster. These players had come to QPR for completely the wrong reason um, and to be honest some of the sort of big names I've seen turning up at Stoke I've half expected the same thing to happen although it doesn't seem to on, on such a, a biblically awful scale as it did with us um, we lost, uh, I don't think we didn't win any of our first 16 games uh, in the Premier League that season Hughes was sacked after 13 uh, and th- I think the biggest uh, the biggest thing was he, he, he didn't seem to know why it had gone so wrong or what he was going to do about it. The press conferences before the games became very similar. He would always say that the, the squad had been prepared meticulously for the game, that his coaches were meticulous in their preparation and had done everything they could to give the players everything they needed to win the game. And then we'd turn up on Saturday or Monday night or whenever Sky had told us we could play our game um, and would just look like a complete shambles. Um, we had Mark Bowen, uh, Hughes' assistant, on the, uh, the QPR podcast towards the end of uh, their reign and I mean credit to him for coming on during a bad time and giving honest answers to the questions but the thing that struck all of us in the studio that night was that firstly they didn't know why it had gone so wrong when it was fairly obvious you know that the big names had come in for the wrong reasons they'd sidelined the wrong players but more importantly they didn't know what they were going to do about it and you know, there were basic things like they didn't seem to be able to coach the defence at all. The defence was basically Ryan Nelson against the whole world. They didn't, you know, there was talk of we never worked on defending set pieces in training and, and things like that. Just, you know, really random basic stuff. Um, and he fell on his sword after after a, a farcical sort of 3 uh, three nil loss at home to Southampton who'd just been promoted. Um Redknapp came in after him and did pretty much the same thing. And again, this is why Tony Fernandez gets the blame, sort of rather than Mark Hughes, and so he should. You know, spent loads of money, 
t uh, tactically inept, uh, you know, and it will take the club years and years to recover. You know, I, I repeat, it's the chairman's fault at QPR, basically. Um, but but Hughes, I think, he left Fulham saying that they they couldn't match his ambition. Uh, and, uh, you know, by all accounts, was eyeing up the Chelsea job at that time. Um, his ambition, as it turned out, was basically to sign loads of uh, Kia Jarabkin clients for loads and loads of money. Uh, and it burnt him at QPR. You know, luckily for him, he's managed to move on with his career. Still got a Premier League job. Still seems pretty well regarded, actually. Uh, for QPR, that that little stint there under Hughes and Redknapp will take us years and years to recover from. We're only just sort of starting to shovel the shit now. Basically, we you know we are years and years away from getting back to the level that Warnock had us at, uh, and Hughes played a big part in that. Hell, that QPR fan was brutal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> before we. Uh, enjoy the rest of our weekend a couple of things we probably should mention is first of all the absence of Bojan yesterday has continued to fuel rumours that he's on his way to Middlesbrough Ben do you buy the reasoning that Mark Hughes gave that he picked up a hip injury? Hips don't seems, lie the timing seems coincident. Hips don't lie um, no yeah <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it, if you're if you're going to judge it from football down the ages, from the last couple of years with other clubs and whatever, whatever has happened with the selling of players, it does seem that this is an excuse. It's come out of nowhere. No one's really heard anything about it until he's been linked with with Middlesbrough. So yeah, I, I, it, it's a, it's such a massive shame, and it will be an emotional day if it does happen. But I would say it's probably just a cover up before we ship him away to Middlesbrough. Unfortunately, the Stoke fan we were talking to on the Metro Down, Chris, sort of suggested that it's probably heart ruling heads mm -hmm. uh, with some fans, you know, so determined to keep Bojan. Um, he said he'd be kind of happy to let him go for the one rumour was a seven to eight million pound fee, uh, given that he hasn't really performed this season and considering the fact we got him very cheap as well. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on the fee are, but I imagine you want more than the kind of seven to eight million. Yeah, yeah. I said on Twitter the other week that if we're talking the fifteen million pound upward mark, then it would definitely lessen a blow for me. Um, this is that's not based on any valuation, although transfer marked or whatever has him at 12 million um i i just think that in an age where teams are demanding ludicrous ludicrous uh deals um it never seems to be us who do that and zonzi went for pennies and we haven't got a buyout uh, um, any clauses with that begovic we lost for what would so someone would consider less than he should have gone for come on Let's it, it, like I I will accept him going and I it it will be an upsetting day but I'll accept it but come on at least at least make them cough up some cash to get him because I don't want to see him go for small money. We've got the power. I don't want to see him play. F go We've on. got the power in this deal. The fact that he's got such a long contract left, it doesn't make any sense if he goes for a yeah, low fee. Exactly. I don't. I, I wouldn't understand that at all from Stoke personally. But sorry, Dave. I don't want to see him play at the Bet365 stadium for another team mainly. So, yeah. um, 
it does look ever more likely that Middlesbrough want him. We've, uh, yeah, we our transfer activity. We don't really know what's going on, obviously, but it seems we're pursuing Berahino, though Tony Pulis made some noises yesterday that he was going to keep him. Um, Mark Hughes has kind of denied Bojan out rumours, but again, the the kind of no smoke without fire thing is is hard to ignore. I uh, haven't seen us linked with too many players in other positions. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you think about this window, if we need to particularly strengthen I think prices might mm. might rise to stupid levels during January so mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you think we need to improve right away given that we haven't got a relegation battle to fight yeah. or a cup to fight I'd, I'd like to see us um, go and try and make Bruno Martins India permanent deal but I mean obviously I'm, I'm, we're, I'm willing to accept that we may wait for summer to do that Um because I I think he's been a he's been a, a brilliant player for us, um, but no I I don't I don't actually think that whilst we do need players I'm not sure whether this window is the time to to do it uh, we especially not unless we move a few players on I do think there are some positions we do need to strengthen but I don't know. The fact that we're not linked with anyone kind of suggests we're not interested apart from Berahino. So I think I, I've I've watched like Hughes's the videos of the press conferences and then like chats with the club's social media and whatever. And, and he did say in that that we'd apparently been looking at players but weren't successful in getting them. Which obviously we haven't really seen that many players linked with us as you mentioned. But then Hughes has come out and said we've tried to get players but we haven't got them so that kind of suggests that we don't always hear what's going on behind the scenes and I, well I believe that that we're not going to find out everything as fans yeah. like they want to do yeah. stuff behind closed doors so the fact that he's come out and said that is yeah is, I think that's promising I mean as long as they're looking it doesn't I don't think that anything's essential but if there's a deal to be had then you may as well look but then Hughes did also say that we're not going to sell anyone and obviously we've just been talking for the last five minutes about probably selling Bojan so whether he's telling the whole truth in those little snippets of videos is a, a different matter maybe okay um before we briefly talk about manu then i'll just read out an email from jason martin hello wizards to think you would question why you bothered to travel to the stadium of light a solid win today and the curse is finally lifted the first 40 minutes were as good as i've seen stoke in a long time it wasn't the best game but the quality of the players finally shone through as shown in the first two goals in particular Second half was as I'd feared. It wasn't as dominant as the first, with Sunderland looking the more likely to score for large parts, although it was a credit to the team for standing firm and weathering the storm. The introduction of Ngoy, regardless of how brief, saw us end the game on a high note, and he did himself no harm in terms of a performance. Arnautovic, Crouch and Shakiri were the stand-up performers for me. I was especially happy for Shaq, given the vitriol aimed his way over the last couple of weeks. And for Crouch, given the vitriol I've aimed his way over the last couple of years. Great work all round. Now, a question for you. We've seen recent performances against Liverpool, Chelsea, Watford and now Sunderland, which have yielded six out of 12 points and three decent performances from four. All of these involved a more direct style of play, with Adam and Crouch being pivotal to this. Yet with the public chase for Berahino potentially nearing a conclusion... You feel that we're only a fortnight away from yet another change in style. So what do you do? 
Abandon what appears to be working as such. Adopt plan A stroke B. Play Sido on on the play Sido wide. Any thoughts on this? Interesting question posed there. If we do get Berahino, um say we sign Berahino this midweek, would you still be starting Crouch against Man United and Everton? It's a really interesting point. Like really, really. Yeah, really fascinating email there. So thanks, Jace. But it was something I was thinking about literally just before the podcast as well, in in maybe different words. But why, like, why when we've got this successful thing going on, why are we still looking for Berahino? I mean, it's 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 like Groundhog Day, all these transfer windows looking for Berahino, and we've got something, as Jace said. So I think I'd continue with Crouch. I mean, I can't believe I'm, these words are coming out of my mouth a couple of a couple of weeks ago. I would have, I would never would have imagined saying this, but I think you can't change a good thing and we've got such a good thing it would be a waste to change it now and and try something that to be honest hasn't really worked this season with the with that different style of play so yeah just continue with the crouch and I think a lot of people reached the end of their tether with this Berahino saga a long time ago and and I'm yeah I'm sort of I'm apathetic towards it now really so yeah I'd continue with crouch yeah our big criticism of well one of our big criticisms of Hughes this season is not persisting with a team over an extended period of time. So we'd be hypocrites if we bought Berahino and then we're like, oh, bring him in the team straight away. So, yeah, I'm happy with the team at the moment. Uh, And, okay, we're going more direct. But I think Sunderland, the first 40 minutes were the perfect, was the perfect mix Mm -hmm. of styles, really, because we had the uh, kind of more direct play Adam to Crouch for the third goal, but we also had the beautiful play for the first two goals. So I'd be, I'd love to see that uh, kind of mix of uh, old school and new school continue. Um, yeah, Berahino's a funny one. I don't think I'm particularly bothered anymore. <laughs> I think maybe in the summer I was really quite keen for us to get in because. I thought he'd be that guy to stretch the defence, to bring players like Bojan and Shakiri into the game more. But he's gone ages now without playing for West Brom. And I've seen him in the under-23 game, just like highlights. He looks like he's put a bit of a timber on. And uh, obviously Tony Pulis doesn't think he's fit. I think Pulis has a lot to answer for in terms of his treatment of Berahino, definitely. But... I'd wonder if Mark Hughes is just pursuing him because he was pursuing him two years ago. Uh, yeah, like I said, I, I honestly, I think I'd rather have Josselu back from loan than gamble on mm-hmm. a player who, unfortunately, hasn't yeah. uh, had the opportunity to get back into the swing of things in the league. And if we sign him, then that could put some serious breaks on the enjoy Ngoy movement. You've got, you've got to consider that Absol- as well. Absolutely. And also it puts huge pressure on Mark Hughes as well. I think... OK, uh, I think the result yesterday uh, definitely, as the polls cl- uh, seem to show us, have won back some fans, fans feeling slightly more positive. So if we went out and spent ten million on a striker who may not do it for us, that could be a, a big risk for Hughes to take. So I I maybe can't 
can't see him doing it. Uh, remains to be seen, of course. Finally, before we go, we'll talk about the upcoming game against Man United. Man United, slightly different proposition to when we placed them at Old Trafford. They're looking rather good. Mm. Ibrahimovic is scoring. Pogba's playing better. Uh, do we have a Do we have a hope? Uh, <laughs> we're both. I pulling, think I think that, those faces. noises kind of sum up. I I think that uh, you, you, for this one, it's got to be a hope that we're on our best and they're they're on an off day. And uh, I think a realistic hope is a draw, but they're they're doing pretty well at the moment. So. See how they do today, shall we? And then judge it. They're the form side, and, okay. and we, we've got to go into this game without expecting much and then see what we can pull off. That's all it is. And it'd be amazing if we literally, I'd be so happy with a point against United. I think they're playing fantastically well. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to be disappointed if we, if we lose. But having said that, I really don't want to experience another 4 0 loss. So I don't mind losing, but another drubbing would be slightly demoralising, obviously. We've got a good recent record against Mourinho, haven't we? Beat uh, his Chelsea team th- uh, when Asaidi scored. Mm-hmm. Beat his Chelsea team when uh, Arnautovic scored last season. So, hoping uh, that trend continues. Uh, I think that's it from us then. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Of course, as usual, please get in contact with us. Uh, we'd particularly like it if you could leave us a review on iTunes because that means the... Uh, show is more likely to get uh, kind of featured on there more uh, means people can find it easier as usual tweet us your thoughts at wizards of drivel uh, please give our facebook page a like uh, we did some uh, thoughts from the pub or wizards from the cauldron on facebook live yesterday uh, which was a lot of fun so yeah for that facebook only content go to facebook.com slash wizards of drivel and if you want to Email the show, it's wizardsofdrivelpodcast at gmail.com. Guys, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thank you. Cheers, ben. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd also say, just talk about the podcast with your fellow Stokies. I mean, what a, what a perfect way. What a, Have a chat about us and what we say with your with your mates and let, let them know about the podcast. Obviously, we want this to grow as well. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of uh, that, we... Uh, we uh, someone who did get in touch with us on Twitter yesterday was someone who it turned out I'd hugged uh, in the game previously uh, because we we posted a picture on Twitter and uh, I think his name is Part Time Bob Ferris on uh, on Twitter and he said, "Oh, you, you're the you're the lads I hugged after the second and third goal." <laughs> Twitter, eh? What's it like? Uh, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Dave. Cheers, boys. Well done, Stoke. Let's keep it up. Wait,